Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. You know, we, uh, I'm going to something I want to get into today, but you know, I've been studying recently on, uh, I think I shared a message on this, on revivals and, you know, key ingredients that go into revival. And, uh, you know, if you look at some of the great revivalists and revivals that have taken place, without any shadow of a doubt, revival begins with prayer. Uh, people seeking God on our face before God. We recently saw one that took place in Kentucky. I don't know if you saw that at a Methodist college uh, called Asbury, uh, Asbury University or what have you there uh, in Kentucky. And that was actually the second revival that, that took place there. There was a revival that took place back in the 70s where a group of kids would get together at a Methodist college and they would get together and pray once a week and then it turned into a couple times a week and then nightly and then it started in their chapel without ceasing. They would pray, and it would go all night, going to the next day, and then someone else would rotate. And it just, just came with humility at the altar. Uh, another revival, probably my favorite revival, of course, the uh, Azusa Street Revival, started by a, <clears throat> a man who uh, his parents were uh, freed slaves seven years, uh, seven years previous to his birth, William, uh, William Seymour. And he was born in Louisiana, found out, uh, you know, about the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and then uh, found out about it, went to Texas. Oh, K through four, if you guys are here, you guys are released. All right, we haven't? No, they're already released. All right. So, you know, studying on it, the interesting thing was, uh, you know, if you go back and look at it, it was a you know, greatly humble man that uh, when he was in Houston, Texas, he wanted to learn about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It hadn't really poured out yet. He was just learning about it. That he went to a Bible school, and at the Bible school he was at, this is during, uh, you know, the foolishness of the Jim Crow laws, and so he couldn't enter the Bible school, the Bible study. So he would hit, sit in the hallway, William Seymour would, and just listen to, to you know, the information on the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I don't know if I'm humble enough to do that, but he was. And so uh, from that, learned about it, went to Los Angeles, held a Bible study, locked him out of a house. Uh, soon after, he went to the Bonnie Bay, Bray Street, began to teach on the, on the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, soon after, he got filled with the Holy Spirit, revival broke out, and there were so many people on the front porch at the Bonnie Bray house, the porch collapsed. Uh, then they had to find something else. They found a, a horse stable where they were keeping horses on Azusa Street and thus began the Azusa Street Revival. It ran between 1906 to 1915, and from that, it went all around the world. The Assembly of God came from that. Every Pentecostal church you can think of has come out of that. Uh, there's over 600 million adherents to the Pentecostal movement, and we are one of those. And we owe our background to a humble man uh, that was the son of two freed slaves, that uh, they said he would spend hours a day praying with his head in an apple crate and just seeking God. He just lived with such humility. There's something to be learned from that. Is that, you know, if we want revival in our own life, if we want revival in our own church, uh, number one, we need to be prayers. Number two, we need to be people of humility. Amen? And so to allow, allow God to move. I've been doing this a long time. Uh, not that long, but I mean, long enough. I can remember when I first came, you know, I was sitting back in the back, had my Edinburgh baseball coat on, and uh, I didn't know anything. All I knew was Jesus saved me. I had no idea why. I was so thankful I wasn't going to hell. Uh, pastor said something to the effect of, 
you know, does anybody want to share anything? And I lifted my hand and, you know, people were saying what they're believing God for. They're believing for healing or believing for this, believing for that. I lifted my hand and I'll sit back here on this side of the sound booth. And uh, he said, well, you know, he, he doesn't know me from Adam. And uh, he said, what are you believing for? I'm like, well, I'm believing for a million souls. And, uh, you know, some people chuckled or whatever, but I was serious. And I'm like, well, if God can save me, you know, I can give my life or whatever and, and see if we can win some people to Christ. And so we've done that. And so thank God this past year we're able to see our one million soul come to Christ. And uh, so, amen. Don't clap for me, clap for him. I just, I wouldn't have my next breath if he didn't give it to me. So anyway, uh, it's been a, it's been a, you know, long journey, seen a lot and uh, experienced a lot. You know, as a missionary, you tend to see things different. I didn't come out of Bible school this way or I didn't, uh, I wasn't saved you know, this way, you know, you just see people different. You see nations different. You see, you see things different. I can remember being, I was in Haiti, preaching in Haiti, and Haiti is one of the poorest nations on earth. And uh, uh, now I was in Mozambique when I started doing mission work. I was staying in a tent in a field, I think for three weeks, and we had to clean the human waste off the field so we could do a crusade. And I'm staying in a tent there and, uh, you know, lived there, did a did a crusade in uh, Mozambique and Southern Africa. And uh, Haiti, if it's not as poor, it's certainly almost as poor. And so I'm in Haiti doing a crusade, and somebody came up to me, and uh, they said, uh, you know, I was doing a crusade in St. Mark, Haiti, which is about two and a half, three hours from Port-au-Prince. And um, somebody came up to me, and they said, you know, there's a guy that has spent his entire life on top of this mountain. It takes about an hour, hour and a half to get there up over this mountain. And uh, he said, they said he's never had a visitor. They said, would you and maybe some of your team be willing to, to go see him? Now, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, this is our free day. I'm like, nah, let's go see this guy. If he, if he spent his whole life, let me, go, let me go see what he's doing. And so we got in a Land Rover. Now, we live in the Appalachians, and I, I drive, you know, four-wheelers and all this stuff, and and so, you know, none of that bothers me. But this mountain was so steep, I had to tell him at one point, can you stop the vehicle? I'm going to walk. And so I had to get out of the vehicle and I walked behind the, the Jeep or whatever, Land Rover, and got back in it. We get up to this guy, and he is living in a dirt floor house and has a dirt floor church uh, with a few pews. And on top of this mountain, there might have been 40 people, 50 people. And this guy gave his entire life up, sacrificed his entire life for the benefit of 50 others. And so, you know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, no greater love is there than this is when a man lays his life down for his friends. And so I'm, I'm literally watching this play out in a dirt floor house on top of a mountain in Haiti. That this guy has laid, I mean, literally laid his life down for the benefit of another. And, you know, these weren't necessarily his relatives or things like that. So I'm sitting there. We're in his church, dirt floor house. And uh, he shimmies up a palm tree uh, or a coconut tree to cut down some coconuts barefooted. I've seen it done a lot in Latin America. And, you know, they'll, they'll go up barefooted, you know, just up top of a palm tree and cut down coconuts. And so this guy cut, cut some coconuts down for us. If I'm remembering correctly, he had three chickens and killed two of them for us. And this guy knows, I know he knows that he is looking at, not that I'm, you know, wealthy or anything like that, but just coming from the U.S., comparatively speaking to a Haitian, I am bought by far one of the wealthiest people this guy's ever met. And I believe, I think at this time, I'm believing God to pay my bills monthly, but still, I'm one of the most, uh, you know, wealthiest people this guy ever met. And this guy shimmied up, cut down his coconuts, killed two of his three chickens, to give it to, to maybe the richest man he's ever met. And, uh, you know, I had to keep turning my head thinking, you know, dear God, you know, what, what have I sacrificed compared to what this guy, you know, is doing? Hang on a second. <laughs> so, <clears throat> as Christians, you know, a lot of times it, it's difficult, I'll be honest, it's difficult coming back to the U.S. Because we have everything. And so if you drive downtown, downtown Beaver, Beaver Falls, New Brighton, East Liverpool, these areas, if you go through Chippewa, the biggest buildings by far, not even close, by far are the churches. 
And the reason is because 100 years ago, people lived like that. They would sacrifice everything for the benefit of another. And somehow or another, in the West, which we would talk about Western Europe, the U.S., Canada, what we would call the West, you know, all, all of Western Europe. There's 50 countries in Europe. The eastern part of Europe, where there was part of the old Soviet Union, is still kind of protected. Western Europe is, is just like Northeast U.S., where they are diminishing rapidly or, or leaving God quickly. And so the churches are diminishing. You know, churches are now bars, things like that. And so it's, as a missionary, it's just... Is just so plain to see is that one of the main ingredients is sacrifice is these people are willing to give it all you know where where we are playing on our phones if I can put it that way or whatever it's you know so <clears throat> anyway Christianity is a life sacrificed there's no other way to put it. it it just is is I'm sacrificing my life for the benefit of you or, or for another and so, you know, Jesus said this, there's, uh, you know, when he came to earth, he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. This is the king of glory at the father's right hand, leaving glory to come and to lay his life down for the benefit of another. And so if we're going to be Christians, and I'll say it this way, is that, um, let me word it this way. Be careful how I say this. Is when we see certain promises in the scriptures, we have to be careful that at the end of every promise we don't put ourselves. In, in 2 Corinthians 9 8, it says this it says, God will make all grace abound toward you. And abound toward you. So with all things, right? We would define that as prosperity, with all things at all times, which means forever. Having all that we need, there is no better definition of prosperity in the Bible than that one. With all things, at all times, having all that we need. But it goes on to say why. So we can abound in every good work, right? So all these messages we hear, God does want us prosperous. God does want us, wants us blessed. God wants us healthy. I would agree with that 1,000%. I'm sitting in the same church, you know, believing the same thing. I just want to encourage all of us to make sure that we don't lose sight that is for to fulfill the work that God has, has for us. And so God has a work for us individually. God has a work for us as a corporate body. God has a work for this. This is a church. And so, you know, I just did a, did a history of the church, did the best I could with it, tried the best I could uh, to, do, to do the history. And so if you go back, uh, you know, the church isn't the four walls. I mean, what you're looking at here is not the church. It's a group of people that are brought together, you know, with service to God. God, here I am. Here's my life. I lay my life down. I lay my life down, first of all, to you. But then I lay my life down as a, in, in a corporate body to be trained, to be sent out for the benefit of another. And so I'm here to benefit you. I'm here to benefit them. I'm here to benefit people overseas. I'm here to benefit people in Africa. I'm here to benefit, you know, whoever I can. And so we just did a youth internship this past week. Um, last year, uh, the last couple of years, we, we ran, I think, for three weeks. This summer, I had three mission trips back to back. I just didn't have time to stuff it in there, so we did four days in a row. Uh, and so uh, from that, uh, you know, we, we did our best to, to share with the kids the importance of, of serving. Is that the Christian life... Uh, you know, this might sound sacrilegious to you, and, and uh, probably the first time I heard it sounds sacrilegious to me too, but I'm going to say it anyway. But, you know, we've heard that salvation is a free gift. It is not. There is nothing about salvation free at all to anybody, not one iota. Salvation, number one, costs something to provide it, and what it did, it cost Jesus' life on the cross. And so when Jesus hung on the cross, he hung there suffering for your sins and mine. And so... You know, when he hung on a cross, that was for your filth and my filth, for your thoughts, my thoughts, for your deeds, my, you know, deeds. The Bible says in James 2.10, somebody says, well, I haven't sinned that much. Well, the Bible says in James 2.10, if any man keeps the entire law and sins once, just once, everybody say once. Once, once he's guilty of it all. 
So when you read, open up the Bible and you read all that, we are guilty of it all. You need a Savior. And so uh, I need a Savior as well. And so when we do the homeless ministry, when I go up with Rob and Ben, whoever goes up to do the homeless ministry, we just took the kids on a youth internship. You know, you're looking at kids, a 20-year-old kid putting heroin in their arm. I, I tell them, listen, you, you have to look at them different. You don't look at this. This, isn't a, this, is, this is God's child. There is no one on the, on the planet that he favors more than this one. This is God's favored children that you're looking at. And so you have, to, you have to see things as he sees things. And so, so anyway, there, there are sacrifices involved. Number one, Jesus gave his life for you. So when we wander out of here, we need to look at people around us like, hey, this person is the same boat that I'm in. They needed a Savior. I needed a Savior. Right? So, so you look at people a little different. Like, hey, this is my partner in crime, so to speak. We, we done messed up together. We're both in need of a Savior. Let me pick you up. You pick me up, and let's head down the road. And so that is what God intended. Secondly, salvation is not free to you either. To receive salvation, it is not free. It costs you something, and what it costs you is your life. You know, Jesus said this, if any man comes after me, he must first, what? Deny himself or deny the lordship of his life. God, here's my life. It belongs to you. I lay it at the altar. I lay it at the foot of the cross. Here's my life. It's yours. Right? This is, this is my life. It's yours. I remember when I first got saved. I got saved in a fight, and I was in Chippewa. The YMCA used to be in Chippewa. Um, you know, so uh, I hit some, honestly, I just hit some kid in the head. He pushed me against the wall playing basketball. I hit him. Bam. And all of a sudden, somebody's been witnessing to me, and I run back in the men's room, and I know I'm going to hell. And, and for the first time in my life, I know I'm, on the, I'm going to hell. No doubt, I'm on the way to hell. And so, <clears throat> so anyway, I run into a missionary from Africa. He leads me to the Lord. And, um, and so he shared to me, he said, listen, I, I'm going to pray with you, but, but you can make Jesus Lord of your life if you invite him in your heart and your, lay your life down for him. And so I did that in the hot dog shop out in Chippewa. I prayed, invited Jesus in my heart as my Lord and Savior, and I became saved. Praise God. And so Jesus, Jesus allowed me to be saved that day. Salvation costs you something, and what it costs you is a sacrifice of your life. And so this week during the youth internship, when we do mission trips overseas, when we speak to a body like this, I just spoke a couple weeks ago in, a, in another church. can't remember where I was at. I was somewhere. And uh, I was definitely somewhere. I don't know where, but somewhere. And so I told them, like, listen, your body was brought together for a purpose, and that purpose is to serve together. And so I would say the same thing to Christian Assembly here, is your purpose is not sitting in that pew. It is not. Your purpose is, the end of, end of your Christianity is not sitting in that pew, hearing another message and becoming a more mature Christian. If that is the end of your Christianity, you are selling God's purpose in your life far, far short. God's purpose is for you to come in, maybe sit in that chair, pew, on the floor, wherever you want to sit, at the altar, to be trained to, to help somebody else, to win somebody else. And so that is what this church was built for 90, whatever, two years ago. It, the purpose hasn't changed. It's still God's purpose, right? So we need to look at, a thing, at it that way. I was recently sharing, um, I was recently sharing with, with our volunteers. I sent out like a group text to our volunteers. And um, Sharing with, with our volunteers, I sent out like a group text once a week, and it's kind of a, kind of a training thing. I haven't done it for about a month and a half because I've been just stupid busy. Like busiest time of my life has been the last two months. And so uh, sending this group text out, and, and it seemed to really bless the people. And so um, I'm going to share, share a little bit of something that, uh, that God had, had put, like I said, in my heart to share with people. I hope, I hope we all get something out of this and um, that we can all grow. You know, each day in the church, each day in our lives, it should be a growing experience where, where we can get better. I can get better. You can get better. We can all get better. And we can all serve together as Christians better. Amen? Amen. I want to share this with you guys um, about the God kind of communication. And as we work together as a team, as Christian assembly, now I mean this as I shared, it's my only intention is instruction, is this is a framework that we need to flow in. This is a framework we can operate in. 
Um, this is something that I had to examine in my own life. How can I do this better? And, you know, I've done this with many things in my life. God, what can I do to get better? You know, if we don't look at our life in that aspect, God, what can I do to be a better Christian? What can I do to be better? Then we are either staying the same or decreasing. We should always want to improve. And this is something, a process I went through in my own life. God, what can I do to, to be better in this arena? And I believe God revealed some things to me. And it helps us, it helps us as a body. As it would help us as a church body. It will help us in, you know, if we're in leadership roles, if you guys are doing like uh, the homeless, homeless room, if you're doing this, if you're working in the back, if you're volunteering, sending out letters. Um, <clears throat> this is something that will help all of us flow uh, together better in, in unity. You know, if you look back at the Tower of Babel, remember this? They all went up the Tower of Babel, and God looked at them. They had one language, one heart, and God confounded their language because he said, listen, now that they are in unity, nothing will be, nothing will be too difficult from them. They can achieve anything. And so, uh, anyway, the language was confounded, so forth and so on. And so what, we want to operate in unity. And so I'm going to just share just a couple things here that we shared with our leaders. Some of them got back to me and said, you know what, I like that. It blessed me. That spoke into my life, uh, something I can glean from. And then, you know, these are things that I've had to glean from as well. And, you know, maybe, maybe we can get something out of it as well. But uh, if you flip over to Revelations, Communication skills among the brethren as we carry out God's will, God's purpose in and through our lives. There are God kind of characteristics that we need to operate in. There are also characteristics that the, you could say that the enemy operates in. And so we want to be careful that we are flowing into God kind of communication. You know, the Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so we need to be really careful how we approach those around us. If we look at it as God sees this, I'm not against you. Prayerfully, you're not against me. I'm not against anybody. We're all headed in the same direction. Number one, needing salvation, heading down the road, hopefully working together to carry out God's purpose, plan, and will in and through our lives. And so if we look at this in that direction, as we all need to be heading out to carry, some, carry out something in a sacrificed way, um, if we look at it that way and just say, hey, what can I glean from this? What can I take from this? Um, you know, maybe this can better us in some areas. Communication, as we head down the road, uh, like I said, there is a style to it in God's kind of style. Number one, <clears throat> I want to share with you what kind of, what God kind of communication is not, Okay. And so, I, once again, this is a message I shared with our leaders. God's kind of communication, number one, has no condemnation in it. There's no condemnation. The Bible says in Romans 8, right, that there is therefore now no condemnation. Everybody say no condemnation. No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Thank God that we don't have to live uh, under the umbrella of condemnation. So, if people communicate in a condemning style where I condemn you, like I'm judging you, condemning you, it, 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 you're communicating not in the God's way, but, but the enemy's way, right? Communication should have life to it. Once again, there's life and death in the power of the tongue, so we need to communicate with life. <clears throat> in Revelation chapter 12, if you, if you flip over there, If we use with our brethren, and like I said, once again, I'm talking to our leaders here, my leaders, whatever. If we're using a communication technique that results in speaking down to another or, uh, you know, if somebody has, uh, you know, done something in the past, repented on it, of it and moved on, and we are now using that as a weapon. And we're going to use that as a weapon to punish them. That is speaking with condemnation. And God is not in that. The Bible says God remo removes our sin as far east as it goes from the west. In Revelation chapter 12, aren't you thankful God's merciful? God's forgiving. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, 
It says this, And the great dragon was cast out, and the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out, out into the earth, and his angels uh, were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of Christ, for the accuser of the brethren. Everybody say, accuser of the brethren. Amen. One more time. Accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. We need to be careful that our tone, when we are communicating with others, that we are speaking with life, that our, our words are, are filled with life, and they are not accusatory, that we are not accusing the person next to us. Um, I just saw a thing this morning on, uh, uh, well, not yesterday morning, I saw a thing on Larry Bird. Everybody knows he was a basketball player. So I didn't watch basketball much until the mid-'80s. I was a magic guy, and, you know, I came, uh, you know, magic and bird. I was a magic guy. But uh, anyway, I was watching it that uh, Dennis Rodman came out, said some things against Larry Bird, and then some of his teammates later come out and said, well, they call him the worm. The worm was all into his feelings and things like that. And so, you know, and so he said some things about Larry Bird. We need to be careful that we are not, that uh, because there's feelings or whatever involved doesn't give us a green light to accuse our brethren. And so that we speak life, that we are here to help another down the road, that we're here to build another. And once again, is that we are working uh, together in a building uh, capacity. I want to share with you some characteristics. When I was seeking God, uh, when I was seeking God, this is really the scripture he laid on my heart, and I've had a few things in my life where God changed really the course of the way I operated by some scriptures he gave me, and this, this really was one of them uh, when I was seeking, seeking God. In James 3.17, uh, I was going through a period of time where I'm like, God, is this you or is this not you? Is this, I'm not sure, God, if this is your voice or, or the enemy's voice or my flesh's voice or whatever. And this went on for a period of months. I believe God finally gave me the scripture. And it says this. It says, but wisdom that is from above is first of all pure. It's also peaceable, gentle, easy to be received, full of mercies and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. When wisdom, when God speaks to us, there is life in it. Once again, God doesn't use the enemy's tactics to communicate. God uses life. God uses his ingredients, like baking a cake. You know, if any of you, any of you guys have ever baked a cake, there are certain ingredients that go in it, and it creates a nice cake. If you leave a couple of those ingredients out, you bake it, the cake flops, it doesn't turn out, right? So when we are baking a cake, it needs to have certain ingredients in it. Same thing when God speaks to us, or the God kind of communication, there are certain ingredients in the, in the way God communicates. I heard a minister say one time, I could, I could say his name, and uh, he said, well, God, you know, really, you know, God really chewed me out, or God, God did this. You know, it was like God whipping, you know, whipping my backside. And I knew what they were saying, that God was giving instruction, that God was trying to lead them. I, I knew what they were saying. But the, the picture it painted was that God you know, uh, was whipping them or beating them. And, you know, God doesn't, that's not the way God operates. Uh, you know, the Holy Ghost is a gentleman. He's not going to force you to do anything. He speaks with life. First of all, the Bible says when God speaks to us, there's a purity to it. There's an absolute purity to the voice of God. When God speaks, he speaks with absolute accuracy. And so, as Christians, we need to make sure that when we are communicating, we try to convey exactly, uh, you know, what has happened. That's the way God communicates. It's very easy to weaponize. Very easy to weaponize events by leaving out parts or changing parts or, you know, adding to it or what have you. God wants us to communicate with purity. And so I tell my kids, listen, I, you know, I, I do my best. I try to do my best to communicate with you guys exact. So, you know, that's the way God communicates. He goes on to say it's peaceable. The communicating that God create, uh, speaks with absolute peaceableness. I can remember I was being stupid one day 
and um, I was living in uh, I was living in Meadowbrook, and so down the road here. And I'm really busy. I think we were flipping a house at the time. I got in my car and I head out, and uh, I head. Now I'm a good driver. I'm a really good driver. So I'll be honest with you. I'm probably the best driver I know. So I leave Meadowbrook. <clears throat> I leave Meadowbrook and I'm headed toward Midland. And uh, I got what feels like, it's not actual, but it feels like I got 50 things going on. You know, I'm running a, running a ministry. Uh, you know, when I set the ministry up, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, okay? I didn't, I didn't come from a ministry-oriented background. So I'm, I didn't set up uh, a percentage of what comes in to go toward staff. Uh, in the office or whatever. I'm like, hey, everything comes in, we'll send it overseas. I'm going to do it if I got to flip houses, if I got to do whatever, and that's what I did. And, you know, finally, I, it caught up with me, and I got tired. But uh, anyway, uh, we, we had to adjust that. But when I set it up, I hurt myself by not doing that. But my heart was right. So pray people have mercy. Appreciate all the volunteer work. I don't know if Lou Ann's here. Lou Ann helped us get the ministry started. Saw Cassie here. We've had some great, we've had some great, great workers. Mylene's doing a good job. All you guys have volunteer. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you. So St. Jane, she volunteered for years. So um, anyway, so I leave Meadowbrook and I'm flying down the road, got 50 things to do. I come down to the bottom of Midland Heights Hill. I don't know. I'm assuming y'all know where that's at. And I am driving fast, like too fast. And so it, you have to bank real hard right to get down into Midland where they call Spring Lane. You get, to get to Spring Lane, you got to bank real hard. I don't even remotely slow down that much, tiny bit. I come around, and here comes this guy, and bam, I hit him on the side. Well, the guy, if I'm remembering correctly, he was in his 80s. And so I hit, I hit his driver's side door, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking, dear God, I hope I didn't kill him. And so I get out, I, I look at the guy, check him out, and he's all right. But it was 100% without any shadow of doubt my fault. And so I told him that, told the police, insurance. I went down to insurance. I listen, before you even start trying to figure it out, it wasn't his fault. It was mine, you know, so forth and so on. But I can remember when I left that day that the Holy Spirit checking me in my heart saying, son, things will work out better if you slow down. If you slow down, things are going to be better for you. It wasn't God chewing me out or anything like that. It's like, son, you know, you need to slow down. You know, things will, things will be better. I didn't. I blew off the Holy Ghost and I paid for it. And so God speaks to us in peaceable tones, right? So uh, that's the way he is. There's no condemnation when God speaks to us. It's not accusatory threatenings. His communication is peaceable. The number one lesson you will learn in marriage books or things like that, I remember I got a communication God style, was you affirm the person. Every marriage book, if you've been married 12 times, all 12 books will say the same thing is number one, you affirm the person, you then identify the issue, right? And then you reaffirm the person. So let's say my son, I'm going to pick on him because it's my son. So let's say my son's driving too fast, and uh, which I pray you're not. But uh, anyway, let's say he goes out and he drives too fast. There's two ways I can communicate with him. One is accusatory. It's, it'll create him to be defensive. Like, son, you know, if I told him, listen, son, you're wrong, man. You know, if I went so far, you're an idiot. You, you do this. I told you 50 times, you know, this. That, now I'm attacking him. And we can see from the scriptures that God is not accusatory. He's not attacking. He is peaceable. And so there's two ways to communicate anything. Communicate anything. In your marriage, in your relationship with your children, things like that. This is something that none of us come out of the womb knowing. You have to learn this. Some of you might have had to apologize to your kids. I am one that have had to apologize to my kids. I was never verbally abusive, but I could have communicated better at times. And so I'm still sorry. But these are things, as a Christian, you get on your face before God, you ask God to forgive you, you ask your family to forgive you, you ask people to forgive you, and prayerfully they're merciful. And so, you know, if we're going to be honest, Will's not the only one in this boat. If we're going to be honest, all of us are in this boat. And so there's no way you can sit in your chair and say, I've done this right every time. There's, then none of you can tell me that. And so, uh, you know, if we're going to be honest and we're going to put our pride aside, right? So, it, you know, if we are a person that cannot apologize, that's pridefulness. 
You need to be able to self-examine. Listen, I could have done this better. Get up, look somebody in the face and say, you know what? My heart was right. I was wrong. I could have done this better. And so we all need to learn that. And so the other way, the, the correct way of communicating is, son, I love you, man. I want to spend my whole life with you, which I do tell them this. I want to journey through life with you, but I need you safe. And so to be safe, I need you to drive the speed limit, you know, in, in that area. Keep your eyes on the road, you know, so forth and so on. And, you know, we'll cruise through life. We're going to, you know, things will be great. So I basically just said the same thing. One accusing him, attacking him, one in positive terms. And, you know, and so I have learned to try to communicate in peaceable manners, in peaceable terms. I'm trying to build with my son. Son, I love you. No one on earth is, you know, ever going to love you more than your dad. And so I'm here to build with you. And so I, I try to communicate peaceably. And so, but once again, this is a learned art. And so we, we all need to communicate this way. Amen. The Bible goes on to say that God's kind of communication is gentle. You know, when we communicate, as we work together as a church, as a team, as we work together as leaders, listen to me now, is a lot of time communication involves moving a person in a certain direction. I need you to do this, or I need you to do that. You, there's many ways you can move a person. You can condemn them and make them feel terrible, and they'll act. But you've made them feel terrible, and, you know, that's, God doesn't communicate through condemnation. Another way is, is accusing a person, you know, which we just shared. Another way is by using a fear tactic. I'm going to try to put fear in you, and fear moves people. It does. Is I can, I can be intimidating to you if I want. Is if I want to be, you know, if I want to be an idiot, I can be an idiot. And so I can put fear in you, and I can move you that way. And, you know, we need to be careful that we are not using fear, a tool of the enemy, to move another. And so no one wants to operate in that environment. People want to be moved with respect and things like that. And so in, in our office... I told, uh, you know, the people volunteering in our office, listen, you always have a peaceable environment in here. I will never yell at you. If you make a mistake, I'll say, all right, well, that's fine. Let's fix it and move on. And I, I am intentionally trying to create a positive experience when people come to volunteer or work in the office. Now, when I speak to you guys who are volunteering here at the church, if I'm speaking to you in home with your children, if I'm speaking at you in your families, it should be a conscious effort. If you care for the people around you, if you have any feelings for them at all, if you value them as a Christian, if you value them as a believer, as a, as a, as a family member, as a friend, as a church member, as a Christian, as another child of God, I've got to realize that you have feelings, that you, that you have something you've got to go home to. Maybe your home life's not great. Maybe your home life is great. But as you work, I am going to curtail my, the way I communicate, curtail and adjust the way I talk to ensure that you have a peaceful environment. And so if it's here at the church with our volunteers, you know, I don't think any of you could ever say I yelled at you or chewed you out or things like that. I do my best to treat you with respect, to treat you in a manner where I value you, your opinion. If we disagree... I'm like, well, you know, I, I believe this is correct or what have you, and we, we work it out. And so there is a way to communicate. And so for us working together as a team here at a church, you will get the most mileage. I'll put it this way. If people are communicated with in peaceable, respectful terms, in, in a way that we are building together, that we are constructing together. Um, I'll say this, is that if you have a strained relationship, with uh, maybe in your family. If you have a strained relationship with people you work with, if you have a strained relationship in your marriage, if you have a strained relationship with your kids, once again, if we're going to be the one to stand up and say, I'm, I'm always right, I've never sinned, then you're foolish. You're wrong. You have, you have sinned. You do wrong, and there will be a day you have to repent. That's just the way it is. And so... You know, maybe in your own situation, maybe you can evaluate if I have damaged relationships or I have damaged this. 
well, maybe I could have communicated better or maybe I could have done this better. And sometimes when people are at fault, sometimes it's 90-10, sometimes 80-20, sometimes 50-50, you know. And so, uh, but take ownership of your own business and let God and the other person handle theirs. And so we need to learn the art of communicating in love, communicating in a building term, in a constructive way, where I love you, I'm for you, what can I help you to do to build in life, to carry out God's purpose and plan in and through your lives. And if we see people like that, if you see people as God's, listen, this is God's child before it is my family member. This is God's child, every one of them, right, before they are my whatever. And so, all right, so I'm going to treat this person with respect. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to speak to them in a build. I'm going to build with this person. I'm going to construct with them. I'm going to develop with them. And if we can learn that art, it'll, it'll, it'll better, it'll heal a lot of your relationships. It'll better a whole lot of your relationships. And so it'll allow us to work better together. It'll allow us to, our volunteers to function together. It'll allow us to work on the street together better. Um, you know, so the, this is maybe something we can examine. Do I communicate in peaceable terms that are constructive and building, or am I communicating in, in, a, you know, in a way that's, that's maybe accusatory or condemning or what have you? It goes on to say that it's easy to be received. When God communicates with us, there's an easiness to receive it, right? So with that being said, once again, it's the same terms, is if we communicate in a certain way, even if we are correcting something, if we, if we were to correct it, I love you, I'm building with you, but you know, I would prefer if things are done this way or whatever, now we're building together. But if we're like, listen, you're an idiot, I can't believe you did this, blah, 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 now we're accusing, the walls go up, and nobody wants to, nobody wants to, to hear that or receive that way. So we need to try to communicate God's way. It goes on to say that it's full of mercy. Uh, we covered that. Uh, you know, one, one good thing uh, we can see in that full of mercy is that's the way we need to operate toward, toward others as well, is we need to be full of mercy uh, toward others. There's a, there's a story in the Bible where, uh, you know, the woman, there's a woman caught in adultery. And the church leaders bring her, the church leaders bring her before the master. And they say, Master, you know what, this is, this is what the scriptures say. What do you say we should do with her? What do you say we should do? You know, the scripture says this, they're all holding stones. And Jesus is writing in the sand. And um, finally Jesus speaks. And he says, all right, you want a stoner, stoner. Let her rip. Throw the stones, stoner, kill her. But you without sin, I want you to throw the first stone. And so, of course, one by one, what happened? They dropped their stones, they wander away. You know, out of the situation, out of the church leaders, and as the master, the, the ones that were not in a position to judge had the stones and were ready to kill her, and the one who was in a position to judge chose not to. And what was his response? His response was, hey, so where, where's your accuser? She said, well, they left. And he said, well, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. And that was the end of it. And so, you know, he didn't berate her, didn't beat her up, didn't do anything like that. And, um, you know, so there's something to be learned from that. We need to learn to live with mercy and grace. And I'm talking about any sin, is we need to be people of mercy, uh, grace toward another. And once again, if our attitude, if our position is I'm here to build with you, I'm not against anybody. I'm here to build and construct with you. Tell me your gifts. Let me tell you my gift and talents, and we're going to build together. If we have that prevailing attitude, then... Our, our mind is not set on judging anyone. Our, our mind's not on a sense of uh, accusing or attacking. We're here to build together. We're a team. We're building together. And that's how, once again, uh, you know, if you look at the scripture with the Tower of Babel, is that God said nothing will be withheld from them. They're in unity. And so for revival to take place, we need to be in unity. And I would, I've said this to our leaders. I'll say this to any church is that we need to be in unity. And the way to do that is realize, number one, that we've all sinned, all of us. Secondly, we're all on the same team. We are partners in crime, so to speak. We're all floating on God's good humor and grace. And, and God's given us a calling to build and, and uh, you know, fulfill together. And so, you know, we tease people. You know, Addie Lowe, where's she at? In the back, I tease that kid relentlessly. And, uh, but you know what? We love her, and she's doing an awesome job. And so we just took her out, Riley out, took his group out for the homeless, 
she's she's running her own sort of little ministry of making plarn mats for uh, for the homeless. She just gave one out this past week, and uh, you know, doing an awesome job. And you know, we clown around with each other, but you know, that, that's how you work together. It's teamwork. I'm going to help you. You help me. We build together, and you know, keep things real positive. Amen. All right, so if, if no, nobody knows Addie Lowe, she makes bags, so I call her a bag lady. So, <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> God's good. So when we communicate, there needs to be life always, right? So no matter what somebody comes home with, no matter what situation, um, I'll put it this way, it does not give a green light to violate the structure that God has given us. God wants us to communicate with life, to build together, um, if somebody makes a mistake, all right, well, how can we build? We need to adjust this. What can we do to build together? And so uh, that needs to be our tone. That needs to be our hard attitude. And it's the same thing in the office. If you work in the office, Mylene, if she makes a mistake, and she makes a lot. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's doing a great job. But if you come in the office, if you're volunteering or if you work there or whatever, you make a mistake, I will never berate you, never. I won't accuse you. I'm like, hey, I'll hang tight. I'll make a mistake. And they'll apologize. You know, I'm so sorry I made a mistake. That's all right. Don't worry. I'll probably make one in the next hour. Don't worry. We're building together. We're constructing together. We're all on the same team for one goal. I'm going to make your, your next eight hours of work in the office or five hours, whatever it is. I'm going to do my best to make it a peaceful environment. I'm asking you to do the same for me. We're going to enjoy our day. We're going to build together. We're going to construct together. And if you can learn to adapt that in your households, if you can adapt that with your children, your children is not your enemy. Your child's not your enemy. Your child is a gift from heaven. And so your child needs to feel, hey, I love you and I'm here to build with you. Let's find out what God's gifts and talents are within you and let's build together. And so um, if you made a mistake, don't worry, I made mistakes. And ask for forgiveness. If you know, hopefully they'll forgive you and, and can move on. And uh, once again, if anybody in this room would say, I haven't made a mistake, well, you're lying because <laughs> you have. So we, we all have. It goes on to say, it says, without partiality. What that means is, to me, truth is truth. Truth reigns, rules and reigns. And so um, I've told my kids, listen, if you make a mistake, then, then I, I would expect you to apologize. And so, uh, you know, I'm not going to bend anything or whatever, so, you know, so you don't have to. Uh, I love you. But uh, I can remember uh, my dad and... Um, you know, I try to live this way, is uh, I didn't get saved till I was 19. <clears throat> and so the first 18 and a half years uh, were times wild. And so um, there's down, if you go down here to Hardy Field in Brighton Township, there's an athletic shed and they sell snacks. And so Will and his buddies got hungry. And so it was uh, a few evenings where I discovered from playing baseball there, is uh, I discovered that if you go to the side door, it was latched, it was one of those little latch things, is if you push it hard enough, it'll open without breaking it, and you can climb through the window and get yourself all the sweetest fish and drinks and Coke that you want. <laughs> so I discovered this when I was, I don't know, 16. And so uh, I think I saw a band in there one time. <laughs> <laughs> so I would get in there with my buddies and... I was an honest thief. I would leave money. I would take the sweetest fish, and I'd leave like 4 or $5, you know, to stop and go closed. I'd leave money for my crime, and then I'd leave. I'd lock, you know, shut the door, and I'd go do it the next weekend. So, anyway, this goes on, and I don't know what they, I don't know what they thought or anything like that. But, uh, anyway, one night, my buddy has a shindig. He has, he has his get-together. And, um, you know, we weren't necessarily reading the Bible. So there might have been a Bible in the house, but it wasn't open. And so uh, we were hanging out, and so this group of buddies decides they get hungry, and I'm like, hey, I know where we can get some food. And so we walk from Barkley Hill up to Tosca, up Tosca, and a lot of it was behind houses. And so we show up at Hardy Field to the, con to the uh, convenient, not the convenience store, but the uh, athletic shed. I slid the door open, and I don't know, all of us go in there, and I discovered out of the whole group, I was the only honest thief. The rest of them cleaned this place out and didn't leave a dime. And so, I mean, they're taking boxes of Swedish fit. They're taking all this stuff. Well, anyway, about three days later, the police show up in my house. 
And so they're like, they're like, hey, uh, there was a break-in at the Brayton Township Athletic Shed, and they said, uh, somebody turned your name in, you know, were you there? I said, well, <laughs> I said, I'll be honest with you, I was there. And uh, I said, I, I left money for, I said, if it's any consolation, I left money for what I ate. The other guys didn't. And uh, they wanted names. I wouldn't give them any names. And so it turns out they had a, now I'm pursuing a baseball career, trying to play professional baseball. They had a township meeting in Brayton Township where they were going to vote whether Will Bridges was going to be able to ever play sports in Brayton Township again. And so uh, anyway, they said, you don't need to come, and, uh, but we're going to vote. And I forget how many were on the board at the time, five. Anybody on the board? So I, I knew some people were on the board that day. But uh, anyway, they were going to vote. <clears throat> and they said, you don't need to come. And, and my dad knew about this. He said, boy, you're going. And uh, I said, Dad, well, they said I don't have to. You know, I'm, whatever. And he's like, nope. He said, you did wrong. You need to apologize. And so my dad drugged me there. I was embarrassed. I was afraid. And uh, I went. I stood in front of the board. And, uh, you know, these people there, and I told them, like, listen, I was wrong. I did this. I, you know, I'm trying to pursue baseball. I appreciate some mercy or whatever. And uh, they voted that day, and I was allowed to play baseball by one vote. But I had to go do community service. And so if you go to Ellis Field in Brayton Township, behind Ellis Field is real pretty now. You can walk behind it. Well, you can thank me. So... <laughs> I had to cut the trees down and all the vines down and all that. And there's a picture in our yearbook of me with a chainsaw cutting trees down behind Ellis Field in Brayton Township. And then, you know, we go to two days of football and I had to go to cut trees down. And so, but, you know, my dad's a, you know, cotton farmer from Missouri. He don't play around, you know, and that was his point of view. And I'm in agreement. And so, you know, uh, speak exact. We need to apologize, apologize, even if it's behind the scenes, whatever. I don't care. And, uh, you know, I've had to apologize many times. And we all build together. Once again, I am for everybody. And uh, so when we communicate, uh, if you guys are in the back building, our volunteers, if you guys are in the back, if you guys are in the homeless room, if you guys are out here, if we're the thing, uh, like I said, try to, try to speak with grace, you know, speak with God's uh, you know, positiveness, speak in a, in a way that will build the people around you. If you're volunteering and you're tiring, we, we tell people this. Um, we tell people this on a mission trip. I just got off a, a second of three mission trips back to back, and we do this every mission trip. If you're having a bad day, if you're having a rough day, if you're into your feelings like the worm was, if you're whatever, just take the day off. Just stay home, stay in a hotel, and, um, you know, we just want to keep things every real positive light.